a playlist original. If you spent any time on theatre Twitter in the past year, you'll have certainly seen today's guest. Rob Madge, a former musical theatre child star who's played everyone from Michael in Mary Poppins and Gavroche in Les Miserables to the artful Dodger in Oliver, and even graduated to an adult role in Les Mis before Covid shut theatres took social media by storm with their wonderful home videos of the Disney parade they put on for their grandma. This resulted in their debut play, My Sons Are Queer But What Can You Do, which premieres at the Turbine Theatre this month. Hi Rob, how are you? Hey, hey, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's a lovely sunny day here, which is great. <laughs> Honestly, about, about time. No. Yeah, it's lovely. First off, can I just say, you brighten my lockdown on so many occasions Aww. since your video of not spreading COVID today, so it's an honour to talk to you. <gasps> I love that. Back in the day, oh my oh, goodness. Amazing. Oh, oh, in the middle you. of your um, busy rehearsal schedule and at the start of Pride Month, which is wonderful. <laughs> Honestly, it's all going on this month. It really is. <laughs> so yeah. let's things off. Please, can you introduce yourself and give your pronouns? Hi, I am Rob, Rob Madge, and my pronouns are they, them. Thrilled to be here. And can you sum up my son's a queer, but what can you do? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to. <laughs> It'll be quite difficult. Essentially, the show is all about celebrating um, the joy that can come with raising your child with love and support. It's not a scary thing. If you have a flamboyant son, it can be something that's very fun and chaotic and uplifting. The whole show is about recreating a Disney parade that I put on in my house when I was a child. So we're going back to the childhood living room performances. And I hope people, especially people in theatre, can probably relate to that in some way. I know it stems from your wonderful home videos, but can you explain your motivation behind the show and how exactly it all came about? Yeah, so I was very bored in lockdown. We found some old video cassettes that hadn't seen the light of day for a long time. And we watched a few of them at home and they made me laugh. So I thought I'd share them for that reason, really, just because they made me giggle. And then they did do that. They made people smile. But there was also an influx of comments from people who it was quite bittersweet, said that they weren't so, I mean, lucky to have a family that supported them so much and indulged <laughs> their son so much. So that is was sort of the, the motivating force behind writing the play because I sort of just wanted to show how, how odd a concept that is that that something that was so normal for me is not for others and why isn't it and what can we do to make that quite normal and fun rather than this I mean the things that people were saying in response to a stupid little video of me dressed up in my hall I never expected it to sort of stretch that far and I just wanted to write something that showed that it's all very easy if you let it if you want it to be and I can tell that your parents are some of the most supportive in the universe and they've even contributed <laughs> an afterward to your play script about the importance of yes. and creativity and kids how do you think their support yeah. impacted your development particularly as someone who actually starred in theatre as a child yeah, hugely, hugely. I mean, I come from a family who are not remotely involved in theatre in any way, shape or form. And when people say, where did you get it from? I, do, I, don't, I don't know, to be totally honest, because I was never surrounded <laughs> by people that were. So I was always very odd. And despite all of that, they never got comfortable and thought, well, we don't know anything about this, but we know about this. So we'll make Rob do this. It was never that. They sort of 
wanted me to do what made me happy even if they didn't have a clue how to do that themselves and I always think if I had a, a kid one day who was massively into football I'd be like oh what do I do I mean I'd try my hardest to champion it and I always think of that as like the flip side um, that is what they were into <laughs> but they weren't into the theatre side and they still massively supported and facilitated all of my dreams in the industry really I'm, I'm very very grateful and as you say, your home video is centred around a Disney parade. Um, I suspect this is a bit like picking between children, but who is your favourite Disney character and why? Oh, goodness. That is, a, that is a tough one. That's a very tough one. Who would my favourite be? I mean, Mary Poppins, always yeah. probably. Yeah. Not, not, you know, not originally a Disney character, but it was my favourite film growing up. And I just love the idea of someone who's, you know, just can snap her fingers and the world is fixed. I wish life were that easy. <laughs> what did you think of the Emily Blunt? <sighs> I loved it. I mean, I thought it was such a good tribute to the original without trying to better it or be a pastiche of it or a carbon copy. I thought it, I thought it was just beautifully done. And um, I loved how Emily did it as well. It was funny. Mary had a proper wicked sense of humour in that. And I love that. I think she's such a cheeky character. So good. I remember you reaching out to people online to ask about their own experiences to incorporate them into the show. Can I ask what sort yeah. of response you had and what you've done with those stories? Yeah, so I got a really beautiful story from a mother over in the States who has a trans son and she sort of just left a, a really beautiful comment on again a very silly video which I didn't think warranted such beautiful responses but a really lovely question she was just saying I have a trans son now I'm trying my absolute best but it's really difficult because once we came out to his friends and his friends family everyone suddenly just turned their backs on us is essentially what she said and she, she said oh, I just don't know what to do now it is my love enough essentially and to that I say yes <laughs> just seeing the fact that there was a parent out there who is willing to ask those questions and support again something that might seem otherworldly to a lot of people means everything and will mean everything to her son and I also just had such wonderful pictures and videos sent to me of all of these people that in the industry now that we know when they were kids putting on those shows in their living room and all these you know brilliant choreographers and actors and singers and performers that were all like us at one point they were all four years old putting on wigs and playing Cinderella and I just got so much footage of that so um, that is being incorporated in some way yeah. What can audiences expect in terms of how you've chosen to tell your story in the show? They can expect a fun night at the theatre that will hopefully make them giggle and then will make them leave with open eyes, I hope, as to how easy things can be if you choose to make them so. I just think it's so much energy to choose hatred or to purposefully choose to not understand somebody, to make that active choice to go, I disagree with you. Why? My goodness. It takes so much more energy than just letting it be. So I think people can expect to see something about that and it's autobiographical it's pretty tongue-in-cheek in places but we've got some banging songs as well I must say we've added some music so you can expect to be tapping your toes and humming away as you leave I hope. <laughs> I'm always interested in what it's like putting something autobiographical on stage in terms of reliving memories can you tell me a 
more about what that process was like for you? Well, it's such a bizarre thing because oftentimes I think queer people, we do tend to repress a lot of memories from our childhoods, either for, for right or wrong reasons. But it was bizarre because I just started looking through all of old school reports and it's a lot of stuff, essentially. We have a lot of stuff in this house from my childhood. And you only have to look at an item and then all these memories come flooding back. But you find all of these things and they spark memories that you hadn't thought about for a long time. I mean, here I am thinking that I had the most <laughs> glorious childhood, which I did at home, but outside of home, it wasn't quite the same. And all of that stuff came flooding back. So it was sort of triggering at, at points to look back at all of that stuff because I realized that I'd made the active decision to ignore it for so many years. And then I'm suddenly faced with it and I'm like oh wow I forgot I forgot about that so you have to sort of approach it with caution and it's also just a very weird thing to write something autobiographical when you're physically writing the play I'm like how do I what is this character called am I writing Rob <laughs> it's, it's really strange you have to sort of remove yourself in a way and elevate it a little bit so my character is called Madge I mean it is my story but I'm writing it and I'm like I feel like I need a drag name or something I, I don't want to just write Rob this is so <laughs> such a weird thing to do so yeah it's Madge's story is, is what we're going with and do you have any funny stories from rehearsal so far we haven't actually started yet okay. <laughs> We've done a lot of Zooms, a lot of meetings on Zooms, lots of read-throughs, but rehearsals kick off on Monday. So we've got a week of intensive rehearsals and I'm sure there'll be many stories. Look, I mean, I've already got a funny story in mind because I'm taking three massive suitcases full of all these props from all these shows that I used to put on. So I'm sure there'll be much fun to be had when we root through all of those. <laughs> the Turbine has been a huge champion of LGBTQ plus creatives. What has it been like working with them? Just incredible. I mean, I have always admired Paul and Paul's work and what he does for the industry in terms of championing new work and the platform he gives people with things like MT Fest is just amazing. And Paul just did a tweet back in August saying, I want to work with some new people. And when producers, <laughs> when producers give you that, they literally open the door for you with that. It's quite rare. So I thought, oh, why not? I'll give it a go. So I sent him a, a DM about this show saying, would you be interested? And he said, yes, let's make it happen. And since then, it's just been brilliant. And we've got Luke Shepard involved too. He directed me when I was a kid in Matilda. Oh, um, reunion. <laughs> it's like a full circle moment, I'm telling you. And it's just great. They're all brilliant. And it's a predominantly queer creative team as well, which was quite important to me in telling the story, just because it means everyone's sort of on the same page, because, you know, we can all relate to a lot of the content that's in the show that way, rather than it being sort of, you do that, I'm sure it'll be good, you do that. But instead, it's, it's really collaborative. We bounce off each other with each experience. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous. That's amazing. You came out publicly as non-binary fairly recently, and I don't think we hear yeah. enough non-binary stories. If you feel comfortable, no. could you talk to me a bit about your journey and getting to that point? I think it's something that... I'd always known, but it's only in recent years that I feel like the conversation has got far enough in order to have the terminology and the words for it. I always knew I was something different, something in between, but it's not something I ever felt 
confident or comfortable enough in expressing because everybody was ignorant. And I just felt like a weirdo, to be honest. And then in this past year in lockdown, I think there's no benefits to this situation. But one of the only slight positives was having that breathing space away from such a fast paced industry where if you are male presenting in musical theatre, especially, you'll go from audition to audition of a very specific casting bracket. And you don't have time to think about your own identity when you're doing that. You're just thinking about what boy can I play next? <laughs> Which barricade boy am I going to be? Who am I going to be in Phantom? That's all you have time to, to think about. So having that time away from the industry to really assess who I am and how I want to go back to this industry when it all starts reopening again was really important. And I'm glad I've had the time to do that. But yeah, it's been a journey. And things that people were saying in response to some of my videos also made me realise that non-binary was what I associated most with in that people were looking at videos of me wearing wigs and dresses in my living room and going they obviously knew you were gay your parents obviously knew you were gay and I'm like it's more than that I wasn't particularly attracted to men at that point in my life I just expressed myself in a traditionally I guess feminine way that's what it was to me it wasn't about being gay it was about being queer and different and all of those things have just been going around in my brain for so long and then finally I feel like this year the jigsaw's settling into place it's still a journey but yeah it's all starting to make, make sense a little bit more and you're starring in the envy show with Ginny lemon soon too and i feel like oh my god drag race really the conversation this year which is just really exciting mm. They propelled that conversation. It was really important because we've always been here, you know. It's not a new trendy topic. It's just finally they're getting the spotlight. They're getting a chance to share their stories and that conversation is being opened up. So, yeah, I mean, Ginny is just an icon. Cannot wait to work with them. I mean, I'm still starstruck thinking about it. It'd be a fun night, though. <laughs> Amazing. I know Broadway was hit by controversy over its treatment of the character Joe in Jagged Little Pill recently. How do you think non-binary representation in culture needs to improve? It's such a good question and it's so hard to know, to know the answer really. And people tend to say to me, how do you find it navigating life as a non-binary person in you know, mainstream musical theatre? And to that I always say, well, I don't really know because I only just came out. <laughs> so we will see. We will see is what I always have to say in response to that. I think ways to move forward are accurate casting. And when a casting can be open, be bold and brave with that casting. You know, if it can be played by anybody, don't only cast the cis white men. There are so many roles that could be played by so many exciting people. I just think of magical characters and who they could be played by, because that's what we are, I think. I think we're all quite magical. <laughs> I think just more accurate casting going forward. The willingness to listen, I think. The producers that I've worked with so far have been very good at this, but I hope more are like it. I hope that more producers can sort of drop their pride for a bit and listen to others and know that it's not a fight we're not angry at anybody it's just if people can move forward with more open conversation and shared understanding and I also have to bear in mind that the world is changing massively and some people won't use they them pronouns they'll do it by mistake I still get called he him all the time and that isn't a problem to me so long as it's done out of respect and you know people always apologise after and that's all you can ask for. You can't expect everybody to suddenly change, but we do need to expect that conversation to be more open and to be more understanding of, of one another. It's so important that we all go into it with ease and just respect for one another. 
and I hope that's the way the industry moves forward. Yeah, fingers crossed. Which yeah. LGBTQ plus theatre creatives are you excited to see more work from in the future? And have you seen anything good since Theatre Unlocked? Yeah, well, I saw Cruz at the Duchess uh, last week and I thought that was just staggeringly brilliant. I think Jack Holden is just incredible and Lambert Jackson and Aria Entertainments. I mean, they've just done incredible things for our industry during this whole lockdown, constantly raising the bar on online performances and streamed theatre. So to actually see their work live was just a wonderful moment because I was thinking, wow, you've done so much for us and now you're in a theatre back where you belong. It was really exciting. So I love seeing their work. I'm just excited to see. I feel like there's been so much queer talent that's been bubbling this past year online, on social media. So many new names are cropping up everywhere and it's really exciting. So I can't wait to see what happens with all these brand new queer creatives. I'm very excited to see. Talking of social media, obviously, shapes queer culture a lot because it means people who aren't necessarily out can access content more easily how does it feel knowing how much your viral videos might help someone oh that's lovely I mean I hope they do you know I never set out originally with that in mind my plan was just to make people laugh and it feels like that's been sort of a side effect of the giggles someone said these videos of dressing up as a kid they suddenly make me proud to be flamboyant that just means everything to me because it was a long journey for me to get to that point as well only in the past year if I really understood what pride <laughs> really means so I mean it means everything because it's you know it's a mutual relationship when, when someone says that it makes me feel proud so there's like a, a community that's built online really that I never had access to before and I just said I, I feel like I've made so many new friends queer friends especially and we haven't met in person yet <laughs> so I'm looking forward to having a big night out with everybody. As you say, you've really had quite the year in terms of social media notoriety, and you recently caught the eye of none other than Kristen Chenoweth and Stephanie Pop <gasps> with your out of time. Stop it. How did that feel? <laughs> I mean, I was in a state, still am, still in a state of shock. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Yeah, cheeky follow from Kristen Chenoweth and Stephanie J Block. I mean, they're just the creme de la creme of Broadway and theatre. And they've always been an inspiration to me, especially when it comes to comedy. Stephanie J Block doing Breaking Down and Kristen as Glinda. I would watch those videos on YouTube on repeat, as I'm sure we all would. I mean, just incredible. I, I, I have no words. I'm speechless. I don't know how they ever found it. Social media is a very strange thing. That was a video that I was doing in my bedroom. And as I was doing it, I was thinking, this is boring. This is not very good. I was very bored. I just randomly decided to do it. It took about half an hour. And then Kristen Chenoweth enjoyed it, which is stupid. I ask all my guests this because it's something I think about a lot. Do you think your own youth would have been any different if you'd seen more LGBTQ plus representation in culture? Yeah, I think so. I think I'd have just continued doing what I was doing and not been ashamed to do it outside of the house. <laughs> I think that would be the difference is that the house was a really safe space for me and I had parents and a family that championed that but the minute I'd leave that door you would not see me camping up on the playground I was very shy I was not remotely flamboyant I hid that from a lot of my friends and a lot of friends have since I've started posting these videos have messaged me friends that I had at school saying were you doing this when we were friends because you were not like this when I knew you and I'm like yeah I was but I hid that bit very well so I think that would be the difference is I just continue what I was doing in all parts of my life and I think if schools were more open at that point of 
not tolerating any homophobia or any form of bullying, things would have been a lot different. Yeah. And things seem to be, I don't know, because I'm not there anymore. But from what I've heard, schools seem to be heading in a really good direction. I've got a few friends who are teachers, and they're saying that the environments that they work in are really inclusive. And there's kids coming out as trans and gender fluid and gay and queer. And that was just not my situation at all. I mean, and it wasn't that long ago. It was, what, 20 odd years ago? And we've come on leaps and bounds since then. So I hope it continues going in that direction. I just get so emotional when I go to pride parades and things and see so Mm. many young kids just being completely free to be who they want to be. And it's just incredible. Yeah, that was just never on the cards for me. It just never seemed like a possibility. It's amazing. And it starts young, you know, it starts from those very early years that you have to teach inclusivity and love and you have to show support from those early days. Because if you don't, people feel shame. (laughs) There is real shame that is instilled in those early years. And we don't need that. No time for to be ashamed. No. (laughs) Honestly. That's it. Life is hard enough. So yeah, let's focus on other things, you know, ice caps are melting. Let's direct our energy towards those things and let's just be proud of who we are. You're inspiring so many people, but who are your personal LGBTQ plus idols inspiring you? Oh goodness, so many. I mean, the cast of Pose. (laughs) I just think that is just such a groundbreaking show in terms of casting and people telling their stories. And the same with It's a Sin. One of the reasons why I loved It's a Sin so much was because of who was playing those roles. It felt authentic. And the difference is casting queer people in queer roles versus straight people in queer roles. The difference in watching it is, yes, the straight people might be as brilliant an actor. Great. But there's just another layer of shared understanding when you're watching yourself accurately portrayed back to you on screen it feels different. It feels like a tangible relationship between actor and audience member that you don't really get when you're watching someone just play us and then go back to their daily lives. It's really amazing to see people like Ollie Alexander and Amari Douglas and Callum Scott Howe, all those people in It's a Sin. They inspired me hugely. Jack Holden has inspired me massively over this past week. I mean, there's a new name every week that I'm like, ooh. Um, I like you. <laughs> I, like, I like you. Let me be you. <laughs> Like with um, James Corden in The Prom and how much it sort of bought into just so many tropes and stereotypes and I'm glad everyone sort of really reacted quite viscerally to to Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, it shocks and amazes me that whoever's in charge of those sort of casting choices seem either to not be aware of or just simply not care about the backlash that they will inevitably receive (laughs) there is no way that if you cast someone like that in that sort of role now that it won't be met with huge backlash and I feel like are some producers just completely unaware of the world that we're living in at the minute (laughs) why would you do it it's just it makes no sense but hopefully that's taught people a lesson who knows we'll see I'm sure there'll be many more examples to come of poor casting choices we will see hopefully people are learning from all of this all these ongoing conversations and if you can change one person's mind hopefully that's good enough and then you'll change another and another and I just have such high hopes I hope it all (laughs) 
everything works out in the end. How do you think culture influences people's approaches to the LGBTQ plus community? As you say, it does change people's minds. I think if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to pick up a book and educate yourself, I feel like nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. Nobody likes to be educated. But the thing is, everyone's a bit wrong. Not everyone's right about absolutely everything. We can always be learning. We can always be growing. I think when people are willing to do that, it can open their eyes hugely. When I used to identify as gay, I was actually quite sort of just the worst kind of gay, really. I didn't want to acknowledge my queer history. I didn't want to be considered like stereotypically gay, whatever that means. And that's because I was never introduced to or I never made the effort to introduce myself to the history and all of our shared stories. And the minute I did, my world just changed. But you have to let go of your pride and your ego and be willing to do the research. And when I did, I did a module at university. I did a queer theory module and I was like, oh my goodness. I can't believe how much I've been neglecting <laughs> and more people need to do that. And then the conversation came back to the family. I'd come back home after uni and talk to mum and dad about it. And then they were always very willing to learn and listen. And they're completely different people now as a result. So yeah, if you make the choice to learn and educate yourself and watch good films and read good books, culture can hugely change everyone's perspective. Entertainment is vital, I think, in opening eyes and breaking boundaries. I hope more people do that. Were there any resources you found specifically useful when you were trying to educate yourself more about queer history? I mean, that queer theory module that I did at university was huge. And also I recently read Straight Jacket, which just really opened my eyes. That's an incredible book. I'd start reading plays about queer history. I mean, The Inheritance was a huge <laughs> seminal work for me learning about our history. I'd go to, you know, drag shows and all of those sort of performances would open my eyes. I remember I was at the Edinburgh Fringe and I went to a drag show and it was so exciting to me to be in the sort of underground world of colour and beauty that just wasn't available to me anywhere else. There's just so much that has shaped me. But ultimately, The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the Wizard of Oz and The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Howard Ashman, Howard Ashman, a queer Disney writer who we lost to AIDS in the 90s, was just an amazing inspiration to me as a writer and as a director and all of those things, but also as a queer person who can really break boundaries and work for Disney. I mean, that was amazing. His story always was a huge inspiration to me. And now it's time for my quickfire round. So answer the first thing Ooh. that comes to mind. Favourite okay. LGBTQ TV show? Pose. Favourite LGBTQ comedian? Oh, no. Um, Bob the Drag Queen. Favourite LGBTQ musician? Oh, Ollie Alexander. Favourite <laughs> LGBTQ book? Oh, now, this is hard. I've got bloody loads. Um, I'm, I'm going to say Straight Jacket. Favourite LGBTQ film? The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I mean, it's so gay. <laughs> favourite LGBTQ play or musical? The Inheritance is my favourite LGBTQ play. Um, and my favourite LGBTQ musical, um, I mean, Jamie's amazing, right? Jamie's wonderful. Oh, good. I've seen both of those. I've seen Jamie, I think, nine times, and I saw The Inheritance, like, three or four times. So, yeah, so good picks. I'm really good, excited. Thank you. I'm really excited for the Jamie film coming out. Me <laughs> too. Me too. It looks amazing. Max looks so good in it, yeah. Favourite LGBTQ artist? Oh. Um, Keep airing. Nice.
I know your 2021 has already been super busy, but what's next for you after your show? So I'm going to be working on another show, which is going to be announced very soon, I think. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it just now, but I am going to be working on another show after that. And hopefully in the process of doing that, also build this one that I'm doing now. I'd love to tour it at some point, do the Edinburgh Fringe, things like that, and grow it. I mean, we've started adding these songs now, and the more songs we add, I'm like, oh, this would be a great musical one day (laughs) with, you know, other people in the show not just a a little one-man thing so hopefully developing that further and we'll see what happens with it but those are my imminent plans anyway and finally I know Covid means things will probably be a little different this year but how will you be celebrating Pride Month? Oh I just can't wait to get out there and be with the community to be honest to actually meet these people that have inspired me for so long and that I've had chats with and made friends with online. And I think I will celebrate Pride Month this year with it being the first Pride Month that I've had, being openly non-binary, being proud of that and celebrating that and not really caring what anyone else has to say about it really and just prancing down those streets in my heels, a little skirt. Yeah, it'd be fun. I can't wait. Thanks so much for chatting to me, Rob. This has been an absolute delight. So good luck with Thank you so much for having um, me. Thank I'm you. really excited to go and see it. Thank you so much. FYI, the show news Rob wasn't able to talk about was announced the day after my interview. They'll be playing Fish MC in the world premiere of Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Having a non-binary star in a Disney musical, particularly one as passionate about Disney as Rob is, feels quietly revolutionary and I'm so excited for that to begin touring in August. But if you can't wait that long for more Rob Madge, My Sons Are Queer But What Can You Do is running at the Turbine Theatre in London's Battersea from the 17th of June until the 3rd of July and the play text featuring links to the video footage, bonus content and pictures is being published by Nick Hearn Books. (laughs) 